Why don't we take a minute and pray before we jump into our subject this morning. Father, we wanna thank you for your son, Jesus. He really is uh, the way, the truth, and the life, and not just the one who made it possible for us to have an eternal relationship with you, but the one who guides us along the way through his spirit. And we pray you speak to us through our time together and through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I was raised in a church context in which church beliefs and practices mattered a lot. Uh, putting it a little bit differently, I think that doctrine was a little bit more important than love. Second, I think all of the beliefs of the church seem to have been promoted with equal importance. You know, the deity of Christ, for example, was important, but so were some other issues that really were not that important, but you would have thought they were important by the way they were handled within the context of the church. Third, everyone believed the same things. You weren't really given permission to disagree. If you had a different perspective, you certainly didn't want to verbalize it. And fourth, if you did disagree, then we'd say you were wrong. And that was kind of the context in which I was raised. And I have to admit that being raised in that context caused me to view people a certain way. For example, if I met somebody that attended a church that was of a different kind of church than what I attended, a different church denomination, I immediately would question whether they were really a Christian. Well, if you go to that church. You know, that was just my, my first thought. That was just the judgment I made about it. And I acknowledged that with a lot of my beliefs, I had strong convictions, but it was, it was proud in many ways. It wasn't until I got older in life that I learned a number of things. Number one is that it, I was wrong to think I was always right. Second, that I was wrong to equate all the doctrines of an equal importance not recognizing the differences, and third, that I was just wrong to judge other people about where they were at spiritually or to look down upon them if they viewed things differently than I did. Now, I think the church I attended when I was growing up had a lot going for it. There were a lot of very, very positive things about it, and I don't want to suggest this morning that what we believe doesn't matter so we'll see in a little bit, I think that there are a number of beliefs we have that matter a great deal. It doesn't matter what we believe, both in terms of doctrine, but also in terms of our practice. But today I want to talk about the fact that a lot of things that I think we think are important maybe aren't. And all of this is within the context of what kind of church this is. We are in the middle of this series called Engage. It's a series that lays out why we think that being involved with church is so important and so vital to our lives, but especially what this church is about and the difference that it could make in your life and mine. And I know when I was growing up, the things that, that I gave myself to in terms of the church were, they tend to be a lot of rules. And so the church that I attended, for example, had rules against against uh, dancing, against going to movies because that was considered to be a godless industry. You weren't to listen to rock music. You weren't to use playing cards. Uh, there, you were to dress certain ways. There were just lots of these types of rules that I thought really mattered. And I've come to realize, well, maybe they don't. That those are not the important things. Now, we weren't as bad as some churches that were in our town in terms of being legalistic. I remember one time I went to go pick up someone else's child at a daycare that was being run by another church in town. 
The mother had received a phone call while she was at work indicating her child was sick and she had called my father because this woman attended our church and my, my father couldn't pick up the child so he called me. And I went and go, I went to pick up the child but I made the mistake of wearing blue jeans. And this was a church that did not believe that Christians should ever wear blue jeans. They were a sign kind of a rebellion or whatever. And I walked in and said, I'm here to pick up this child. And if you could just have captured for a moment the look on this receptionist's face as she, she, she looked up and down, she saw those jeans. It's like, I can't, I can't entrust this child to somebody wearing jeans. I mean, really, I think that's what she was thinking. Like, are you... Do you know Jesus? And that's what mattered there. But I realized a lot of the things I thought mattered didn't matter either. So what does matter? What are the beliefs that matter? And how do we deal with people that believe differently? Well, I want to talk about that in a minute. But before I jump into it, I want to talk about just briefly summarize where we've been so far, partly because... It's good to reinforce it, and partly because half of you weren't here last week either because of the weather. But the first week of the series, I talked about our purpose statement, our vision statement, what we're about. We want to be an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and others. The word inviting is used both as a verb and an adjective. We want you to be inviting in the sense of inviting people to Jesus and inviting people to join with us, and so it's a verb but it's also an adjective. We want to be the kind of church that's inviting, welcoming, that anyone who comes in here, and one of the things you'll learn about this church is that people come in from a variety of backgrounds. They're at various places in their spiritual journey, and we recognize that and we celebrate that. Regardless of where someone's at spiritually, we want them to feel at home. But we also want to be a church that focuses on relationships, a growing relationship with God and with other people. The key idea is, is loving one another. Jesus was given the answer, gave the answer to the question, what's the greatest command? He said it was to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's true of both the Old and New Testaments. There have never been <clears throat> any greater commands than those. So we believe if we could help you love God, if we could help you love other people, which we need to grow in both of those, I acknowledge it, but we'll be doing what we should be doing as a church. Then last week I talked about how we believe you grow as a Christian. Some different things that will help your spiritual development. We called them catalysts for growth and we actually got these ones uh, from Pastor Andy Stanley. I need to acknowledge that up front, at least the terminology. The, the catalyst for growth we've had since day one of, uh, as a church, but the way in which they're worded we have, have been very uh, helpful to us. What are they? Practical teaching. By that we mean applying God's word to our lives. Second is private disciplines. Private discipline is what you do between you and God to develop your relationship with him. One of the things that we encourage you to do is spend time reading the Bible and praying every day. Develop your personal walk with Christ. Third is personal ministry. We don't want you or desire that you serve just to fill some spot we have at the church. We're convinced that you grow spiritually when you get involved, when you participate, when God uses you to make a difference in the lives of others. It, it does something to the vitality of your spiritual life. Fourth is providential relationships. 
God brings people into our lives that will help us grow. And it's good to identify who those people were in our lives to be appreciative, but I think God sometimes brings together people so that we'll grow spiritually. We need other people in our lives. And then finally, pivotal circumstances. This is not something that we can do anything about. It's something God does. He allows things to happen in our lives, and many times they're negative things, but they get us on our knees. They're things that redirect us spiritually, and they make a huge difference in our lives. And so we acknowledge that God does that. He's at work in our lives, and our belief in the sovereignty of God causes us to say, thank you, God, regardless of what we're facing in life. Well, today I want to talk about the subject of what we believe. And our main takeaway here today is borrowed from St. Augustine as quoted by John Wesley. He said this, in essentials we need to have unity, in non-essentials liberty or freedom, and in all things charity, which was their word for love. In essential beliefs, we need to be united. We need to agree about certain things. In non-essentials, there needs to be freedom for people to believe differently. And in all things, we want love to be displayed in how we deal with other people. Now, I think Paul gets to this, the heart of this thing, in Romans chapter 14. And so this is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. In Romans chapter 14, Paul addresses what happens when Christians have different beliefs about certain things how do you resolve that? He concludes that loving other Christians and not judging other Christians is more important than whatever those individual beliefs may be. So why don't you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 1 of Romans chapter 14, where Paul said, accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. Now, forget the first phrase for a minute, what it means to be weak in faith. I'll explain that. I just want to focus on the second one. Don't argue about doubtful issues. Another version of the Bible says, don't argue over disputable matters. Now, the question has to be raised immediately. Well, what is a doubtful issue? What is a disputable matter within the church? Simply put, a disputable matter is a matter over which there may be a dispute. Uh, that's kind of it. A, a doubtful issue is an issue for which there may be doubts about them. And you say, well, why would something be disputable or doubtful if it's found in the Bible? Well, the Bible is very clear about certain things that it teaches and emphasizes, but there are other things, especially when it comes to how we live out our faith, that it's not so clear that Christians from different backgrounds might disagree with one another, and, and they're godly Christians, and yet they arrive at different conclusions about these other things, these doubtful issues. And Paul's by getting, beginning by saying we need to accept people and where they're at with this, especially if they're what are described here as being weak in faith. Now, let me give you an example. In our culture, and it's kind of a controversial one, but I just get it out on the table here, something that Christians argue about or dispute about is the question of whether Christians should drink alcohol. Now, I've heard Christians debate this back and forth. Are, are Christians allowed to drink alcohol? Some of you are saying that's an issue. 
Who's, who's got a problem with that? Others are saying, well, of course it's an issue. What do you mean you don't know? Do you wear blue jeans too? Why do Christians have different opinions about this? Well, in the Old Testament, there are some verses that say that you really should avoid strong drink because it can cause you to make bad decisions, especially if you're a ruler. And there are verses in the New Testament that talk about the fact that if you, are, if you do certain things, it could be a problem for other Christians, and so maybe you ought to limit your freedom for the sake of someone else. And so some people conclude it's just better not to drink alcohol, that it really would be wrong to do that. But then you've got other Christians who say, yeah, but the first miracle Jesus performed was turning water into wine. And the Greek word used for that liquid, it was wine. It wasn't grape juice. There was a different Greek word for that. And, and the church in Corinth was actually getting drunk at communion. Have to drink a lot of grape juice in our context for that to happen. And Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your frequent stomach aches. And so they look at this and say, I don't, I don't understand. You know, I mean, obviously drunkenness is forbidden by everybody. New Testament's very clear about that, but you, you find that Christians have differences of, of opinion about this. So who is right? The one who says it's okay or the one who says it's not okay? Well, as we'll see in a minute from Romans 14, both can be right at the same time. That's where we kind of struggle because it's hard to be talking with someone who believes differently than you do and love them. And if you doubt that, look at our culture. Open your eyes beyond the context of even what we're talking about here today. If you hold to a conviction about someone and you're talking to someone on the other side, they might hate you for it. It's just getting to that place, is it not? But Paul says, you can believe different things provided that you're living out your convictions before your God. So let's get an example from his context in verse 2 of Romans 14 where Paul said, one person believes he may eat anything, but one who's weak eats only vegetables. Now he's starting to define what it means to be weak. You say, what is a weak person in his context? It's not meaning to be a degrading term, by the way. He's describing someone whose conscience bothers him or her by eating certain things like meat. That person in this context is considered weak, so all they eat is vegetables. Because if they ate meat, their conscience would bother them. And so they're ones who are described in this way. So Paul's laying out a case for two different people when it comes to food. The one group, they're Romans, who were not raised Jewish, they were Gentiles, and they are not under the Old Testament law as we are not either. And they had the perspective, well, all food is okay. Nothing wrong with it. In the Old Testament, of course, the Jewish nation was not allowed to eat certain foods. They weren't allowed to eat pig, for example, anything from a pig, so bacon was out. I don't know how they survived that. And shellfish and other things like that. And so they were forbidden, but, but this is not a Jewish person. This is a Gentile who thinks I can eat anything I want. But then you got someone else who says, no, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't eat meat. Now, the reason I think they arrive at this conclusion, it's not just a strict vegetarian here, probably. It's someone that 
have the conviction that if you buy meat from the marketplace, you don't know if it was sold to the market by the local pagan temple that worshipped idols. And so in Bible times, people would bring these offerings to the, to the temples where there were idols and they worshipped these false gods and then the, the temple would sell it to the marketplace. So now you're a Christian, you're in the marketplace, you see that meat and you say, I wonder where that came from. Well, if that came from the temple, I'm supporting idolatry. I can't eat that. And their conscience bothered them at the thought of perhaps eating this meat. And so they said, I just can't do it. Now, who's right? Well, in verse 3, he begins to answer it. He says, well, one who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. So if you eat, you're not allowed to look down at the person who doesn't, like, oh, you're a vegetarian. That's what it's saying there. And the one who does not eat must not criticize one who does. You must not judge that person. So you're the one that doesn't feel meat is okay, and then you see some Christian eating meat. It's not your job to criticize them for their dietary habits. Why? Because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another's household slave? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. See, the bottom line is what Paul is saying is, you're not that person's boss. You're not their master. Jesus is. God is. And, and if you're so concerned about that person, realize God is, God's able to make them stand. Don't, you don't, don't worry about them. They're fine. They're fine. They'll survive. Let them eat the meat. It's, it's not your business, is the bottom line. It's not your business what they do or don't do. Now, Jesus, of course, talked about this. He said, judge not, lest you be judged. I need to throw in right away just a, a little side note here that if you see another Christian participating in an activity that's clearly sin, in Galatians 6.1, it says you're to lovingly and humbly go to that person and try to win them back. We do have a responsibility to go to Christians who are living in sin, and we go to that person and we say, I love you, but what you're doing here is not a good thing. And we do confront that, but it needs to be a clear area, not a disputable matter, which is what Paul is talking about in this context. Now, Paul gives another example from his culture in the next verse. In verse 5, he says, one person considers one day above another. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Who's right? Well, it just says each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Just make sure that what you're doing, you feel good about it. You're confident it's okay before God, and then it's okay. Well, what's he talking about here? Well, again, these were Jewish people. They were not under the Old Testament Jewish law, and so the question had to be raised, do they have to celebrate all the Jewish feasts? Do they even have to acknowledge the Sabbath day? Now, this one now intersects with us. Because some Christians say, well, you shouldn't work on the Sabbath day. It's God's day. It's the, the day of the Lord. Don't, don't worship, work on the Sabbath day. And other people say, well, no, every day's alike. You know, there's not a difference. Every day's the Lord's. So, so who is right here? Well, I think in Paul's context... He would say, just, you're doing it for God. And, and so you, the one should not look down on the other for saying, I can't believe you still practice the Sabbath day, and the other one shouldn't judge the other one. 
for saying, I can't believe you won't acknowledge this special day. No, it's, it's not our concern. We're doing this before God. Now, I want to throw in something about that one. Now, for the Sabbath day, you see the Bible has commands, preferences, and principles. It's, there are commands in the Bible that are clear. There are also principles that are in the Bible that apply to a lot of things we do in life, and then there are preferences. And I think sometimes we need to keep these in the right place. And so, the, you know, for example, with the drinking illustration, don't get drunk is a command. A principle, there might be a principle about limiting your alcohol consumption or not drinking at all, or a, or a principle about if you do, that you do it a certain way. There are principles that relate to how you'd live that out. And then there are preferences. The preferences, do you want orange juice or grape juice? And they're not all the same. And we deal with these things differently. When it comes to the Sabbath day, some don't believe we should honor the Sabbath or have to. Why? Because of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, honoring the Sabbath day is the only one not repeated in the New Testament as a command for us. It's not there. All the other ones are there. Don't lie. It's in the New Testament. Paul said don't lie to one another, you know. Don't steal. It's in the New Testament. We're not to steal from one another. And and on and on, all 10 of the commandments are in the New Testament repeated for us as Christians except the one about the Sabbath day. And so it appears this is one that you might have freedom about. And so why, this is why godly Christians might have a different opinion. But having said that, I would say this, that if you don't set aside a Sabbath day in principle, not command, I would encourage you to do so. Why? Well, the, the idea of a Sabbath came in before the law. God rested on the seventh day. He provided an example for us. We are working ourselves to death. It's not a command. I'm just saying that you'll live longer and enjoy life better if you set aside a day and you say, I do no work on this day. This is a day for enjoyment, a day with connecting with my God, connecting with other people. I won't work on this day. And so if you don't honor a Sabbath day, that's what I would say to you in principle. I'd encourage you to do it. If you do honor the Sabbath day and say, I cannot work on the Sabbath, I want to remind you that the Sabbath is Saturday, not Sunday. So if we're going to be rigid about it, I just want to get our theology completely straight that the Sabbath is Saturday, not Sunday. So whether you work on Sunday or not, that's fine. I'm just saying, let's balance the whole thing out here. What matters is that we practice these things before our God. Continuing in verse 6, Paul says, whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. They say, I'm, I'm setting aside this day because I want to honor you. And whoever eats, eats for the Lord. Why? Because he gives thanks to God. As he's eating, as she's eating, the person is saying, thank you, God. Recognize, and so God, he's, he's doing it for the Lord. She's doing it for the Lord. And whoever does not eat, it's for the Lord that he does not eat, yet give thanks to God. And so that person is saying, well, because I want to honor you, I'm not going to eat this. Both are serving the Lord. Verse 8, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the dead and the living. But you... Why do you criticize your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the tribunal of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. 
and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. I want to make the note here that Paul is saying this at this place. He is saying, what I've told you up to this point does not mean do whatever you want. Like, it doesn't matter. He reminded them at this point, just realize whatever your conviction is about this, a whole host of these things. Remember one day, you're going to stand before your creator and you're going to give an account for how you lived your life. So let that moderate things just a little bit. And then he lays out what our focus should be if it's not rules. In verses 17 and 18, he says, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's not what it's about. It's not about special days. It's not about what you wear. It's not about all these types of things. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. Some theologians have noted that this covers all the relationships that we have. It's about righteousness that has to do with your relationship with God. Your faith walk is about walking rightly before God. Peace has to do more with your relationships with other people, being at peace with them. And joy of the Spirit is what's in here. And he's saying this, that if you serve Christ in this way, if you walk in a way that your conscience is right before your Creator and you're pursuing peace with other believers and you're walking in the joy of the Spirit, this is acceptable to God. This is what pleases God and it'll make other people happy as well. So that's what you should do. If I were circling one verse to say, what should we do then? As opposed to not doing all these other things, what should we do? This is it. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then one last thought that kind of, he throws in there that's very important in verse 19. He says, so then we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. He goes on to say that the things that you allow yourself to do, you make sure, and he says it elsewhere in the chapter, make sure you do it in love toward the other person. Going back to the drinking illustration, if you feel it's okay, but you have someone over at your place and you know they have a problem with it, put it away. Love means that you won't exercise your freedom in the presence of someone you know that's going to struggle with it. And so we look around as we're living our lives and we say, I don't want to deliberately offend or hurt other believers and therefore I'll, I'll exercise some, some love when it comes to the practice of what I feel is okay or what is not. Now let me bring this hope or home and talk about why I'm talking about all of this. I mentioned the last couple weeks we're going to be making available the partnership manual. It'll be available online, but we'll also have some hard copies, and we'll talk about that in the weeks ahead. Uh, it's off at the printer. It's, taking, it's gonna take a little longer to print than we had hoped. In that partnership manual is a doctrinal statement, and there we lay out the things that we say are really important. Some of the things we lay out are things like this, our view of God. That God is eternal, but he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a trinity. We talk about Jesus Christ, that he is fully God and fully man, and he is the Savior of the world. We talk about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit instills life in a person the moment they believe, spiritual life, and he helps us live the Christian life. We're the temple of God. 
We talk about the Bible being the authoritative word of God, inerrant in its original documents. We believe that. Salvation, how you get right with God, is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not through self-effort. We talk about assurance of salvation, the resurrection from the dead. We talk about all these things. These are things that are in our partnership manual. Why? Because they're foundational truths. We say, listen, if you want to partner with us, these are things you should probably believe because these are things we, we really strongly believe. For example, the Bible being the Word of God. That's important because every weekend I'm going to come up here or others are going to come up here and they're going to be talking about the Bible in terms of it being God's Word, not just the opinions of people. And if you don't understand that, you're not going to enjoy it here because I'm going to be reading verses saying Paul said this and you're going to be sitting there saying, well, why do I care that Paul said it? And I'm saying, well, no, you, you care because he, he wrote it through the inspiration of God's spirit. We believe this is the word of God. It's a foundational belief. And a lot of things spring from that one plus all the other ones that we do. But there are a lot of things that really don't matter and a lot of things over which we don't want to divide and one way that helps us illustrate what this might look like or, would be an analogy of some jars. If you can imagine that certain beliefs were placed in certain jars, five jars that go from important to not important at all, all the beliefs don't go in jar one. What is jar one? Well, it would illustrate cardinal doctrines. This would be, the gospel fits into this. The deity of Jesus Christ, he is God, fits into this. How we get right with God through faith in Christ fits in this one and other things along those lines. These are essentials. If you don't agree with us with this, you, you won't want to be part of this church. Second jar, it's important but not at the, exactly the same level. Basic teaching of the teaching to the Christian faith. One thing that would fit under this one here would be the physical return of Jesus Christ. We believe that he's coming back for us physically. We also believe in a physical resurrection from the dead. One day we're gonna rise again from the dead. Now it's not exactly at the same level as the first one, but this is also a jar that if you disagree with the, the jar two type things, you, you probably won't want to stay with us long. You won't want to partner with us probably. Jar 2 is very, very, very important. We'll be talking about these things and teaching these things. Jar 3 is convictions and practices in a church or a group of churches. Some examples of Jar 3 things would be how the church governs itself. You know, whether it's congregational or board-led. Um, eternal security might fit into this. It could be a Jar 2. It could be a Jar 3. As we'll see in a minute, people put different things in different jars sometimes. The role of the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, healings, is that for today? We view that as a jar three issue. It's not a jar one issue. I've run into people who make it a jar one issue. And if it's a jar one issue for you, we probably are not the right church for you. If, if you can keep it as a jar three, see jar three means it matters something to me, but it doesn't matter so much that I would disunite over it, and so it's important to me, maybe, but I recognize it won't be to everyone else. Four is personal beliefs or convictions. And this one would include things like the timing of the rapture. Now, if you don't know what the rapture is, I don't have time to explain it. But if you do know what the rapture is, there's a pre-trib rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture, pre-wrath rapture, and a pan-trib rapture, meaning it'll pan out in the end. People have different perspectives on it. It's a level four. It's, we don't view it as a level three even. 
It's a level four. The physical return of Christ, that's, that's a level two, but this one is a level four. And different ones have different opinions about it. And then finally, jar five is divisive issues in the Bible that we don't spend a lot of time in or the Bible doesn't spend time with. Um, a lot of things could fit into this one, but I think drinking alcohol, like beverages, fits into this. Whether you can drink coffee in the sanctuary or auditorium fits into this. I had someone argue with me about that once. I said, you could take it in. She said, no, you can't. I said, yes, you can. She didn't know I was the pastor. I said, you can take it in. You can take the coffee in. No, you can't. I said, oh, I guess you can't. <laughs> she couldn't. She couldn't. She, it was this weak conscience thing. And I, and I respect that. That's okay. But as a church, it's not an issue for us. Now, what do I, I want us to do with this? Well, overall, I just want us to realize that, you know, in the essentials, we have unity. In the non-essentials, that we have liberty or freedom to believe differently. And in all things, we just show love for one another. That's the kind of church we want to be. But um, after you get this membership manual, I encourage you to read it over and, and decide where you fit in terms of these things. Now, I want to mention a few things as I close here today. Uh, some questions have come up as I've talked about membership and partnership, and one of the questions was, what's the difference between the two? People are kind of concerned, like, now you're talking about partnership. You used to talk about membership. They're, they're basically the same. We're changing mostly the terminology because we want people to think of it a little differently. That's the main thing. So you say, well, you, know, you don't have membership as one level and then partnership is the next level up. It's not that. No, we want to change the way you think of it. Why does that matter? Well, you guys, if you have a, a membership at a local gym, you're a member at the local gym, you haven't been there in three months. I know, some of you haven't. Maybe. I, I'm not going to say which ones. We've been through the holidays. We've all put on a little bit. You say, I'm a member of such and such a, a gym. You might feel good about that. When was the last time? Well, three months ago. No. <laughs> partnership. Partnership. We're just asking you to join with us. Another thing we're changing about it is we're asking you to reaffirm it every year. Now, if you are already a member here, been through the membership, and you're already a member here, there's going to be almost virtually no change for you. All we're doing is asking to redo it every year. Why are we doing that? It gives us an opportunity to get in touch with you if you don't renew to find out how you're doing. Because right now, people can leave and we don't notice for a year. And this is an opportunity. And one of our churches started doing this. It's just a touch. It's just an opportunity to say, hey, we missed you. And, and if there's something we need to know about, we'll find out about it then. And that'll be helpful too. If 20 people say the same thing, we better consider what we're doing. And so that's part of the reason that we're doing that. The next step is going to be we'll make this available online. We're hoping most will complete it online because it'll be automatic then. But we'll make paper copies available. And then if you decide you want to to partner with us, we'll just ask you to sign the thing and turn it in or, or, even, or send it electronically to us and then someone will get in touch with you one way or another saying we're fine or we'll give you an opportunity to answer or uh, ask any questions that you may have. So I hope that clears up things just a little bit and again, the whole series is about getting a little better idea what kind of church this is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together and for um, your word that does direct our path. And Lord, we do want to be more and more united with one another. We want to be firm in the convictions that we should have with great firmness. 
We want to hold uh, lightly, though, those that we shouldn't, and we want to learn to love one another, especially those with whom we disagree, so that we would eventually maybe come to more of a, a oneness of mind and heart. Help us to apply these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.